Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my name's David Yarrow. Welcome to my podcast, In Focus. Over the last few years, I've traveled fairly relentlessly around the world, following my passion of photography. These are the stories behind the photographs. This episode is going to focus on a national park in Kenya called Amboseli, which is my favorite place to photograph, maybe in the whole world. Africa, which is a picture of the world's biggest and probably most famous elephant, Tim, a picture called The Squad, and a picture called Circle of Life. They were all taken in Amboseli National Park over the last five years. Africa is enormous. Really, it's four continents wrapped into one. It's the Arabic North, the fairly oil-rich West countries such as Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal. You have Sub-Saharan Africa. And then you have East Africa, which was, I guess, the heart of certainly British colonialism. I get slightly irritated when people say, oh, I just love Africa, because... What they're probably referring to is Robert Redford in Out of Africa with Meryl Streep. They're not talking about downtown Nairobi or Dar es Salaam or Nouakchott or Mogadishu on a Friday night, which to me is not a place I'd want to be. I I find it difficult to fall in love with the idea of spending a Friday night in some of the areas of Harare or Johannesburg. They're referring to these pockets of ridiculous serenity, which are less than 0.1% of the landmass of Africa. But it's where the greatest story in wildlife is told day after day after day. I'm not a wildlife photographer, and I think calling me a wildlife photographer is disrespectful to wildlife photographers who specialize purely in covering these parts of the world. I jump in, jump out, parachute in, parachute out. But I've always been fascinated by it, and I've always felt there's opportunities to tell stories of this greater spectacle. If you look at the areas where you do see a lot of wildlife in Africa, there's kind of six or seven countries. Effectively, you've got Kenya, which is a troubled country, Tanzania, which is an even more troubled country, Zimbabwe, which is an even more troubled country, South Africa, which is a deeply dysfunctional troubled country. 
Rwanda, which was once a troubled country and is now Africa's poster child in terms of extraordinary economic regeneration, in terms of law abidance and economic growth and uh, progressive entrepreneurship, investment in infrastructure. Then you've got Namibia and Botswana, which are not troubled countries. They're uh, beautiful, sparsely populated countries. Namibia is not blessed with a huge amount of wildlife, but certainly the most spectacular scenery of any country I think I know in the world, Namibia. Botswana, which is home to the world's largest population of elephants, around about 130,000, and some of the great wildlife areas in the world. And then you might include maybe a little bit of Uganda and DRC. Of those seven or eight countries, Kenya for us is the outstanding destination. I tend to go to places to photograph one animal, whereas 99% of tourists that go to Africa, when they're looking at their checklist, they turn around and say, we want to see everything. That as a filmmaker or photographer, is a bit like going to a restaurant and saying, can I have a French starter and then I'd love Chinese for my main course and then I'd really like an Italian pudding or a British pudding or something like that. You're trying to have the best of all worlds and it rarely happens. So when we look to where we're going to go and photograph elephants, the most intelligent, most emotionally intelligent animal, I think, on the planet and the most majestic, we go to Kenya. And we go to Kenya for two reasons. Firstly, because there is one national park, Amboseli. It's underneath Kilimanjaro, Africa's biggest mountain, and you've got Tanzania on one side and then Kenya and Amboseli on the other. It is an ecosystem that is unlike any other I know. Amboseli means place of dust, and it is a bit of a dust bowl. And underneath, on the foothills of Kilimanjaro, you do have 2,300 elephants, and poaching there has been eradicated. They live in their own perfect kind of amphitheater. And then next to Amboseli, you have a park called Savo, where the great photographer who recently passed away, Peter Beard, did a lot of his iconic work. The one thing that unites Savo and Amboseli is their home to what's called the Big Tusker Elephants. They're the biggest elephants in the world. They're called big tuskers because they have big tusks. They're kind of half elephant, half mammoth, in that the tusks are so large that they touch the ground. And once you've seen one of these elephants, it sets a bar so high that when you go and see an elephant with small tusks, it just doesn't cut it. There are 21, maybe 22 big tuskers left in the world. Maybe 23. The tusks grow in spurts. So bizarrely, they stop growing when an elephant's about 25, and then they start growing again. And there are a lot of younger big tuskers coming through. But they reckon right now that there are about 23, 24, somewhere between 20 and 25. And they're all in these two national parks, period, de facto. There are no big tuskers anywhere else in the world. The split of that number is very heavily tilted towards Savo. And in Amboseli, there really now are only two or three. And Tim sadly died in the last six months, but he died aged over 50 of a natural death. So it was something to celebrate rather than to be mournful of. 
Savo is vast. It is uncompromising. It is not friendly for filmmakers. It can be quite dense, bushwise, whereas Amboseli is open and arid. And in particular, you have this dry lake. It's actually right now, it's not dry, but for most of the last 20 years, it's been a bit like the surface of the moon. Just dust and raw and elemental, no tension points, no foliage, no sign of vegetation, just dust. And when you'd see these big elephants go through this dust bowl, it caught my attention more than anything else I've seen in the natural world. A great British photographer who I have a a huge amount of respect for called Nick Brandt went over to film a Michael Jackson video in East Africa, in Tanzania, and he fell in love with the place and decided that this would be where he'd spend much of his next 10 years documenting the elephants of Amboseli. And I saw his work, this is probably going back to about 2008, nine. And he got these enormous herd of elephant crossing these dry lakes. 30, 40, 50, 60 elephants, one after the other, following on one particular path through this incredibly atmospheric and unique amphitheater. And I understood why people were paying a huge sum of money to buy these photographs, 50, 60, $70,000, because they transcended normal wildlife photography to such a degree. And uh, I'm not ashamed to admit I became a little bit of a scholar on Nick's work and Nick's processes. He used film, which I find very admirable. So he'd leave Amboseli with 80, 90 rolls of film and not know what he's got on them. And he's taken some great pictures, all in black and white. And they all had a magnificence and a serenity to them. And they celebrated the grandeur of the big elephants. The first time I arrived in Amboseli, I had a shiver down my spine that I don't get when I go to quite a lot of other places because I was just so excited to be there. The seasons normally have been predictable, but it's funny, over the last two years, there's no predictability in weather patterns. In the old days, you go to Amboseli in October at the end of the dry season when you'd expect it to be particularly dusty. And I like the dust because, again, it goes back to this thing about something in the picture defying gravity. So when the elephants are going through the dry lake, there's dust kicking up everywhere. And if you've got the sun in the right position, the dust can be highlighted. And we would never, ever come back from Amboseli without a picture. And because I guess I have a bit of a background in finance and number crunching, we do a lot of number crunching. Of all the places in the world that we film, the place that gives back, the gift that keeps on giving, is Amboseli National Park. And even on our worst trip, after four or five days, we've come home with something that is mind-blowingly good. One of the things that we're particularly lucky with is that people don't go to Amboseli because there are precious few lion there. There's no crocodiles. There's no rhinos. There's the odd cheetah. There's no leopards. So the families that want to go and see everything cross Amboseli off the list because it's basically like going to the Italian seafood restaurant that only does crab linguine, 
that it does the crab linguine better than any restaurant that's a generalist. And we are the crab linguine guys. We want to go there because it does elephants. And we'll be in Amboseli the first day it opens up. And I'll have those same shivers down my spine as I did when I first went there, probably about 10 years ago. I know a lot of people there. I know the Maasai that are there that help us locate the elephants. I know the rangers and the scouts. We have a whole bunch of people that are there to help us. It is a canvas on which to tell the story of the greatest spectacle on Earth. And it's the best canvas on which to tell it because there are just no tension points. It's free of anything that causes your eye to go to something you don't want it to go to. There was a period where Tim was tagged so that the rangers would always know where he was. And then, because he's bright, he lost his tag. I think he probably smashed it against a tree or something. Which meant that rather than you knowing where he was every day, we had to work with the Maasai. The romanticist's preconception of the Maasai is that they might be wearing a rather nice tartan shawl and have a spear in one hand and be walking barefoot through the Dust Bowl trying to find an elephant. And I'm sorry to disappoint people, but they're more likely to be wearing a Chelsea top and be on a moped. And that's fine with us because there's more miles covered if they're wearing a Chelsea top and not a moped. I guess over the years, we've had two very special moments. I had one moment in 2018 in the early evening because it tends to be hot there and it tends to be that the sun will be out during the day. You preferably don't want to be photographing at one o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock. The sun is just too high. It's too harsh. So you've really got between 7 and 20 past 8. So you've got that one hour, 20 minutes. And then you've got between, I would say, quarter to 5 and quarter past 6. So you're working on three hours, perfect light out of 24 during a day. So one-eighth of the 24 hours, you've got the right light. And we know every trick in the book to make use of that so we will be up very very early so that we'll know where the big tuskers were the previous night so we're up at four o'clock and then at six thirty, we will be somewhere near where the elephants were last seen and the same in the evening we'll leave at three o'clock in the afternoon in sometimes quite intense heat to be in the right position by quarter to five we had one evening a couple of years back where tim was on his own in a reasonably dusty, non-vegetated area, which is important, because if there's bushes everywhere, just the picture is lost. I have a guide who I've worked with for 10 to 12 years. He's called Juma Wanyama. Juma is a man of few words. You would never play poker against him because you'd have no idea what's in his hand. And when he has to say something, he says it without any kind of real emotional intonation in his voice. So you can imagine that you're driving along and there's an earthquake. He would just quietly go, earthquake, rather than shout at the top of his voice, earthquake. And he's the same with big elephants because he'll just go, there's Tim. Whereas if you had a bunch of tourists from anywhere around the world, they'd be screeching with excitement. So his poker face belies the fact that underneath he's working dead hard for us and he knows exactly what I'm looking to get. And one of the great things about Amboseli is that the rules and the regulations are more relaxed than other places. 
In South Africa, the idea of you leaving a Jeep and going and lying on the ground in the Kruger Park, you'd be thrown out of the park, you could be in danger, and your guide would be fired. In Amboseli, with our permits, I can get out of my Jeep and lie flat on the ground with the biggest elephant in the world staring me down from 20 foot. There is an ability to get closer to elephants than anywhere else and work from the ground up. That's a huge thrill to be lying on the ground. And elephants, when they do charge you, they do give you three chances. The first charge will be a bluff charge and the second charge will be a bluff charge and then they'll go for it. So you can, in the right conditions, if the guide trusts you and vice versa, have an elephant charging you at 20 foot. And that's what happened with Tim with Kilimanjaro in the background. So we had the world's biggest elephant in the foreground and Africa's biggest mountain in the background with snow on the top with Tim charging me. If you're gonna call a picture Africa, it better be bloody good. And I've waited all my career to call a picture Africa. And within a day of sending the picture out around the world, I think the edition had half sold out because it just said everything about the grandeur of those people that I talked about right at the beginning that said, I love Africa, that weren't talking about downtown Lagos on a Sunday night or a Saturday night. They were talking about that spectacle that I managed to capture. Just one moment in time, a very special elephant against the backdrop of an iconic mountain with dust flying, and he's coming right at me, ears flapping, huge tusks, and that's as good as I can do. Of the 20 to 25 big tuskers left in the world, some are so celebrated that they are given names, and most of the named big tuskers are in Amboseli. Tim is... uh, Certainly the most famous of the big Tuskers. And people always say, where's Tim? Do you know where Tim is? His cousin is called Craig. Craig is alive and Craig now is the biggest big Tusker in the world. Craig's tusks are actually bigger than Tim's. There's ones in Sava that have their names as well. But Tim and Craig are probably the two that most people have heard of. I'm not a human behavioral scientist and I'm not an animal behavioral scientist. But I have witnessed a lot of engagement between species of animals, between adults and their young adults and their contemporaries age-wise. And I'm in no doubt in my mind that the most emotionally intelligent animal is the elephant and their protective instincts, their love of their children, the way that they cope with adversity and the way that they help each other is something that is fairly awe-inspiring. The way the young hang around the adults when they're walking through these dust bowls and whenever they're confronted with something that's alien, like, for instance, a jeep, how a kind of semicircle huddle is formed. There is something that is so majestic. I don't know whether it's the fact that this is a kind of prehistoric-looking mammoth-type animal or not. I don't know whether it's the size that amplifies that sort of sense of protection. It's difficult not to be in awe of them. I don't have that same sense with zebras or giraffes or hippos or rhinos. And the herds of elephants in Botswana, where there are a lot of herds of elephants, I don't get that same feeling as I do 
in Amboseli because sometimes you can get so many elephants acting together as one, as an army, and you can see them from such a long way walking towards you. And it is, as I've said before, one of the great spectacles. That sense of cohesive unit with the lead, whether it be the patriarch or the matriarch, the control that they have over every other elephant in that herd is quite awe-inspiring. In the autumn of last year, I was working with a film crew in Amboseli. My son was there, lucky boy. And um, we're at the gates of the ranger's office. We got the call that it seemed like the big boys were hanging out together, which occasionally happens. And it was only about 15 minutes away, and we sped there, probably about quarter past eight in the morning. And there, to my astonishment, were the two biggest elephants in the world together. Now, that is like having the one, two, three, four in the Grand National when they're all outsiders. Then around them were elephants that were enormous in every other part of the world. So I got on the ground. My guide, Juma, is so smart in terms of predictive analysis. Predictive analysis is so important. Wayne Gretzky, the ice hockey player, famous ice hockey player, said, go to where the puck is going, not where it is. It's exactly the same with elephants. You don't go to where the elephants are, you go to where the elephants are going, which basically is employing all previous experience, not of mine, but of your guide and ranger. And he got it bang on. I'll get out of the Jeep and I'll lie on the ground and he will go, not to corral, but to discourage maybe certain paths that they might go on that would be suboptimal to me. So that then, the elephants will walk towards me. That is a heart-stopping moment where you're alone on the ground and you've got the two biggest elephants in the world walking towards you. I'll never forget it. But it wasn't just the two of them, there was seven or eight, but the two lead. They'll always lead. So I took the picture about nine o'clock and we were two hours back to base. And for the two hours, I didn't look up at all. I was just looking at the LED screen in the back of my camera. Rushed to my room and uh, looked at it on screen. And I knew I had it. I had a, a massive photograph. I was lucky that the light was a bit cloudy, which helped. It gave a softness to the image. If I'd been shooting with the sun, it might have been a bit garish. And if I'd been shooting directly into the sun, that might have been complicated as well. As it was, there was a bit of cloud over the sun, so you had a softness which helped the photograph. And there's a huge amount of textural detail in it, and we called it Squad. Until I took that picture, my most successful picture in Amboseli was called The Circle of Life. And there's no layered narrative at all. It's just a group of elephants together on the dry lake, forming a perfect circle, almost symmetrical. I got a call at about quarter to 12, say there was this crossing. The crossing is when you get a group of elephants crossing the dry lake. And I was in my swimming trunks because we weren't expecting to go out until three o'clock. So I was just doing some work by the pool. And uh, we sped so quickly to that dry lake. And we can get out of the car. We were the only people there and I'm lying on the lake bed and the senior elephant 
stops maybe 50 metres in front of me. And the herd of 22 form a circle around him because he doesn't know whether to go to my left or to my right. So he's just waiting to find out which side of the jeep he should go. And that moment of contemplation offered just a wonderfully serene emotional picture. There are shapes to it and lines that I don't think I'll ever beat. And that picture was probably my most popular picture in between 2016, 2017. It was actually taken in 2015. I remember it so well. It was a Sunday and I'm a quite a proud Scot. And in the evening, Scotland were playing Australia in the World Cup quarterfinals at rugby at Twickenham. And my son was there. I got all the Rangers and guys together in front of this TV screen after having taken this picture. And I said, on the basis that I thought Scotland would lose because Australia were heavily the favourites, I said, there's free beers for everyone as long as Scotland are winning. And there were 50, 60, 70 Kenyans in there just knocking back their local beer. And bizarrely, in the rain, Scotland continued to win and continued to win. Australia scored in the last minute, and I was absolutely devastated. And I remember saying to my assistant, who was with me and felt my pain, even though he's not Scottish, I'd have swapped the morning and the afternoon. I would have taken Scotland to win and not taken that picture. And he said, David, you're too emotional right now. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right emotion, but I respect your view. And then the morning when I woke up and the pain eased a bit, I said, no, you're right. I've always still got that picture. So that's it for this episode of my podcast. My name's David Yarrow. If you haven't already subscribed to the In Focus podcast, please do. And please also leave any reviews that you'd like to make. If you want to see any of the photographs that we've been talking about, do look online at David Yarrow Photography. This is a co-production between the team of David Yarrow Photography, led by Alex Ames and Message Heard. Produced by Jake Warren and Sandra Ferrari, with mixing, editing and original theme music by Matt Huxley. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Thank you.